I want to speak plainly and forthrightly to you. I feel like God has put a burden on my heart that's really pretty simple. And it's this. We have a lot of folks here, and we welcome you, we love you. But we have a lot of folks who are right on the threshold between the world and the kingdom of God. Right there on that threshold, they're standing. And I think that just about everyone I can think of is facing the right direction. They're looking toward the purpose of God. Their heart, their emotions are inclined in the right direction, toward the will of God. I can't think of an exception. I believe all would say that they believe that ultimately they're going to bring the entirety of their life into submission to the word of Jesus, of the word of God. Amen? Maybe there are those who don't yet know the Lord sufficient to make that claim of trust. And I know that you're able to know him better. But for the ones I'm talking about, we're right there. And it made me think this afternoon of times when we've gotten that emergency call, if you will, that says the wheat harvest has been in the field now for four or five days, and we just got word that there's going to be a big rainstorm this afternoon. And everybody on the farm will pour down into the field and we'll try to bring in that wheat before it's spoiled. Maybe it's even before that. Maybe it's hay. Maybe it's wheat. But I, I picture wheat even before it's cut. Have you ever seen beautiful golden wheat, ready, perfect, ripe, and then some storm comes and it all is flattened out? And it's like, God, all of those months of waiting, all of that time of anticipating, and it's, it's just gone. And really that's, that's the place in which many of us stand tonight. We're there. We're ready. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and behold the harvest. He said, it's, it's white. It's ready. It's right there. But we can't quite bring it into the barn. It's still out in the world. Paul said, you are the field of the Lord and I am his workmen. We all know the feeling. And so I said to myself, I asked the questions. I said, God, what is it? Is there some universal dynamic that's at work? Is there something that could change in the atmosphere, in the culture, in the world that would immediately catapult us across that threshold and into your will? Is this just inevitable that we're supposed to have this gap, this delay? And I think that it all comes down to a simple word, and that word is time. I think that's what it's all about. I think that most people who claim to be living for God, when they begin to move toward this particular barn, they would acknowledge that they want what's inside that refuge. They would acknowledge that they, they want the character exemplified by those living the life. They want the, the power visible through the Spirit. They want the joy. They want, they want to be guarded and protected in that barn. 
But it generally goes something like this. You know, when I get to be Aunt so-and-so's age, I know I'm going to be in the same place as she. But I just don't think that's where I'm at right now. Ultimately, I'm going to change this about my life and I'm going to change that. But, you know, I've got time. I'm only 18, 19, early 20s, 30s, early 30s. I mean, I've got time. There's this man whom I love very dearly and care about a lot who told me recently that he wanted to be baptized in Jesus' name. He told me this about a year ago, actually. And I don't want to press him. I want it to be something coming up, welling up from his own conviction in God. And so I tell him, you tell me when you're ready. And I'm going to keep bringing the word of God. And if you're listening, that word is going to do something in your heart. And you're going to tell me when you feel like you can avoid that next step. So I got a call this week. And he said, I, I think I want to I go ahead and, and be baptized. And I said, okay. He said, I think that I wanna, I've picked a special date, the 29th of December. I said, okay. He said, because it's the day before my 90th birthday. And I just think that would be special. Maybe that's real, real quaint and neat and cute to all of y'all, but... I'll tell you, it made my heart pal- palpitate. It made me go, ooh, God, this man doesn't realize what he's talking about. And that's exactly how most of us are living our life. This man's 89 years old. And if baptism is important at all, he better do it now. And if it's not important, why go through the hassle at 89 or 90 at all? But that is exactly the same mindset that is working subconsciously in most of us, our, our hearts. If someone were to pin us down, there isn't a little fetish of the world that we wouldn't be willing to give up and say, you know what, I know there's a better way. I know that the more Christian way is such and such. I know that to be obedient to God, I'm eventually going to have to do this or that. Most of us would all say that. We're just not quite there yet. We just came. We're new. Mom and dad, I don't know how many hours old they were in the Lord, but it wasn't very many when they were out ministering on the streets for the first time. They were just hours old in the Lord. I think they were six weeks old in the Lord when they got married. Ten weeks old in the Lord when they got married. Not engaged. They were engaged as soon as they came to God. I don't mean to each other, but I mean to the will of God. Ten weeks they were living for God. Oh, that could never happen here. No, it couldn't. You're right. But the only reason is because of us. There's a lie that the devil is feeding us about the times and the seasons. Thank you, Jesus. I read the story this afternoon of when it found in in Daniel, the second chapter of when King Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream and he called his magicians and wise men, quote unquote, into his palace and he said tell me the dream I had last night or else all of you are going to be put to death here's the 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 wisest strongest mightiest man in all of the world king of Babylon and he says tell me the dream I had last night they said no Lord they said you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the meaning and he said no if you can tell me the meaning then you can tell me the dream 
And they said, there is no king or ruler in any province or kingdom on this planet that has asked such an impossible thing of his magicians. He said, that's fine. You're all going to be torn limb from limb by tomorrow night, this time. He says, I'm dead serious. That's what he said. He said, I'm serious. If you think I'm kidding, I'm not. I'm serious. You're all going to be torn limb from limb. So about that time the next evening, here come his soldiers. And they're going to tear this, they're going to tear all these magicians and wise men to pieces. And that's when Daniel hears about it and says, um, do you think I could uh, talk to the king? And so the, the ruler of the guard takes Daniel before the king and Daniel says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, you be praying while I'm gone. We're on a timetable that isn't set by our, us. And so he went to the king and he said, my lord king, give me a chance to hear from God. And he went and got on his face and they began to pray. We all know about hearing from God, don't we? What about a timetable like this? We all know about bringing something to a meeting, don't we? What about a timetable like this? This man, as well as all the other hundreds of Chaldeans, are about to be slaughtered. We're about to lose the prophet Daniel. We're about to lose some of the crucial prophecies of the Messiah, of Jesus. We're about to lose the prophecies concerning the end times because none of it's been written yet and Daniel's about to be killed because God has put him in a crunch. You say, well, God hasn't done it. The king of Babylon has done it. Really? What does he mean when he says be instant in season and out of season? Redeeming the times for the days are evil. The evilness of our circumstance demands precise timeliness. In obedience to the Spirit. And everything is hinging on His ability to move in the timing that has been set. So He gets down on His face and He begins to pray. And His three other friends are praying. God! The pressure! But this, this is the kind of man that's going to get the kind of words from God that 3,000 years later we're still going to be living by. And so there on His face... The Lord puts him into a trance and he dreams Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I don't know about you, but what that makes me think of is when visitors are present, when they come into your midst, prophesy and reveal the secrets of their heart that they may fall on their face and know that God is among you of a truth. You see, you had just the same sort of timetable before this meeting. So did I. When Jesus was about to be lifted off this earth, you know His disciples asked Him that question. And we in our fellowship quote this scripture all the time. They said, Lord, is it at this time? And He's already told them that the end is not given to anyone to know. Not even the Son of Man, but only the Father. He didn't even know the end of time. And now they're saying this isn't the end of time, but is this the, is this the birth of the kingdom? And He says... It's not given for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. The times and seasons are fixed by God's authority. Later in Daniel, the 7th chapter and the ninth, 
When he's speaking of the Antichrist, what does he tell us? He says he's going to be a man who tries to change times. When he talks about time, time and a half time, he says in there that he's going to try to alter times. It is, it is the lie. It is the deception. It is the ultimate exertion of our place as God over our own life. When we just discern, when we just assert what the times and seasons are. For ourselves. But he said this is fixed. By the father's authority. But you just go. And wait. Until. You receive power from on high. Amen. So Daniel's laying on his face. And suddenly he starts to dream. The visions of another's thoughts. And he sees it all. And he gets up and he goes into the courts of Nebuchadnezzar. And he says. My lord Nebuchadnezzar. God has shown me everything you thought on your bed that night when you slept. What has changed in this man's life? What is the certainty that he has actually found the right answer? You know what has changed? He has been utterly disabused of any alternative to hearing God in the timing of God. That's what's changed. The times and seasons have made him unavoidably aware that he has no choice. So if he misses it, it doesn't matter. He's going to be torn limb from limb in about an hour. Before he goes into the courts of Nebuchadnezzar, it says, Then the mystery was was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to Him. He who changes the times and epochs. Daniel was living in a certain time, wasn't he? He was living in a certain rhythm. Okay, we're here in Babylon. We've been taken out of our own land. We're in in slavery. In a, under oppression. But you know, Shadrach and Meshach, I don't know about you, but I've sort of found the rhythm of Babylon. Things are just kind of tick-tocking here. It's only Daniel chapter 2. Here we go. And suddenly, everything changes in a moment, doesn't it? He's put on the spot. And he has hours to get a hold of something from God. He's not going to cook up something from his own intelligence. He's not going to strive and achieve something, grasp something by his own strength. He's just got to get a hold of God. But he's in a time crunch. And he says, God, you're the one who changes times and epochs. And then he starts to give us a hint of what his dream was about. He says, you change. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. The revelation. Amen. The insight. The light into the darkness is when you get inside the presence of God. Blessed be God of heaven. 
and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And he goes into the king and he begins to tell him, and this is the great vision of Daniel where you see the statue of a man, the edifice of human godhood, the idolized man. And you, you know all of the different facets of this statue and, and how the rock is cut out and so on and so forth. And, and as he speaks this, he says, oh, great king, this is what you thought when you laid on your bed at night. And what does the king do? He falls on his face and knows that God is among him of a truth. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar got down off his throne and bowed down and worshiped Daniel. Was Daniel a God? No. And he told him so. But something has changed. Amen. The reality of the will and word and light of God has penetrated the little false calendars of human making, has interrupted the schedule, and has brought to light the eternal. The times and epics belong to you, Lord. You change them. You're the one who puts it upon us. You're going to be faced at times. We all, it all happens to us. Or you're talking to someone and everything's going great. And all of a sudden a question is put to you that you're not prepared for. God has just changed the times and epochs of your life. And what you become out of this situation is either going to be a Daniel or it's going to be another slaughtered wise man who knew how to explain away things once he already had the data but didn't really know how to get a hold of God. It's the times and epochs belong to the Lord. And I thought of this scripture also. Ephesians verse 6 of chapter 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, what things? Immorality, covetousness, idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. My favorite light scripture in the Old Testament is this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. I also like where David says, in your light, what? We see light. My favorite light scripture In the New Testament, two of them are both by John. This is the third. The first is, in in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. There was a true light that came coming forth, enlightened every man. Amen. And then the other is, if we walk in the light. And he's saying, we are that light. We are the Word become flesh. Jesus was the individual man become flesh. But when God spoke into darkness, when God put his head over that black hole crevice, isn't that what I've been telling you the last couple of weeks? The God who spoke into darkness has spoken into our hearts to bring to light the knowledge of the glory of the face of God. God peered over our black hole and he screamed out into that darkness and said, let there be light. That light had come and gone through disobedience back in the first Garden of Eden, hadn't it? 
Amen. But then there was the, the darkness of human selfishness. The black hole of human internment. Like my dad has always said. Amen. The spiral, the, the vortex, the bottomless pit of hopelessness. And again, the Spirit of the Lord brewed over the face of the deep. And the Word became flesh. And it shouted into that black hole and said, let there be light. Then every time the people wanted to shrink back into their black holes of hopelessness, that Word would shatter the darkness again. And in His light, they would see light. And Peter, he would climb back to the surface and say, where else can we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill. No longer this this seat. No longer this hole. This crevice. Amen. But now this this welling up. Amen. This, This rise. This high point where heaven and earth can touch the temple of the Lord. So he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness. He doesn't say you were formerly in darkness. He says you were formerly darkness. Amen. There's a distinction, isn't there? Someone walks into the room and you say, that's darkness. That's a black hole. They're not just in darkness. They are darkness. He says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are not in the light. He says, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn. My New American Standard says, trying to learn. What pleases the Lord. I love that. Trying to learn. Becoming children of the light is all about trying, isn't it? Trying to learn. It's not about being perfect. If we sin, that's okay. We can walk in the light. The blood can still cleanse us. Because we're trying to learn. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Isn't that great? Everything that becomes visible is light. That's an amazing statement, is it not? What did Jesus say in John 3.19? We know it very well, right? They that are of the truth, which is another way of saying of the light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. They that are of the truth come into the light. That it may be clearly seen that what they've been done, that what's been done has been done in God. That which is visible is of the light. Where the devil is, what did Jesus say of Satan? This is your hour, the hour of... So the hour of the devil is the hour of darkness. It's the hour of the invisible. It's that which the eye cannot see and the ear is closed to. It's that ambiguity. It's the fog. It's the gray. It's the indefinition, the lack of clarity, of sharpness, of distinction. It's all just muddled together. Women and men can't tell each other apart. And good and evil can't tell itself apart. And everything is just kind of muddled together. Well, this lust and love can't tell itself apart. And falsehood and, 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 and truth, it's hard to tell the difference. It's all just this muddledness. That's darkness. But that which is visible is light. 
That which is invisible is of the devil. It's his hour. It's the place where he lurks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, just on the other side of the tree line, outside of the place of vision, the place of clarity, invisible, just behind the fig leaves, lurking, watching, hoping that you'll stumble off the path of the righteous that is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter to the full light of day. Amen. Hoping the lion is that you'll slip off that path and just wander a little ways into the shadowy places. Amen. Those shaded areas where it's hard to see the clear distinction and he'll prance and it'll all be over breaking your neck in one pounce. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. But that which is visible is of the light. For this reason, it says, awake. So how does he jump from light to sleep? Well, you don't sleep except in the dark. Who can have a good night's rest in the light? Take off the blackout shades on your windows. Shake yourself awake. He says, that which is visible is light. And that's what God is wanting to make of you. That word become flesh, that light made visible in the world. So he says, awake, wake up. How do I wake up? What is sleep? Oh, when I fall asleep, I lose my brain. No, it's there. It's just suspended all of its effort. I lose my strength. No, my muscles all still there. It's just inactive. Sleep is the willful paralysis and suspension of all your faculties. Saying, I I can rest. I can take my ease. So it's spoken of all through the Bible. Typifying a certain laziness, a certain deafness and deadness to God. You're not a casualty. You're just casual. But be casual long enough and you're going to become a casualty sleeping there the sleeping giant we know the little adages and all the cliches right he's got all all of his faculties there they're just resting they're just inactive they're just lying still cushioned well you're going to smother in those cushions you're going to suffocate in delilah's pillow that's where it happens that's where you lose everything and that's self-assurance I'm tired. So he says, awake, sleeper. Awake, sleeper. And rise from the dead. Your sleep is as good as death. But you still have the ability to hear, don't you? Isn't that what we've always said? Isn't that what Jesus means in John 5, 25? The day is coming and is When the dead will hear, the day is coming and already is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. There's a kind of death that's brought on by our own will. It's sleep. But you can still hear. Let that dream be shattered. Let that illusion be cut off. Awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You got to get up. You got to stir yourself out of your darkness 
before the light's going to come on. You want to be wakened by the sunrise. No, you got to get up before the sun's going to rise in your hearts. Before the sun is going to rise with healing in its wings. Amen. Arise and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. Literally, redeeming the time. For the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's where all of the good that God pours into you, it seeps out. That laziness. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, and in hymns, and in spiritual songs, and singing, and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then we go back to Romans. Romans, the 13th chapter. Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 8. He begins by saying he's just told us to pay taxes. And he says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this. Do what? Do love. Do this. Knowing the time. You got to know the time. Jesus rebuked his listeners, his hearers, because he said, you're, you're so smart. You can look into the sky and you can say it's going to rain tomorrow. And you're right. You can say it's going to be a sunny day the next. And you're right. But you don't know the times that you live in. You're ignorant of the times of crisis that you're in. So he says, do this knowing the time. That it is already the hour, or it is already high time. It's noontime, the sun is high in the sky for you to awaken from sleep. Isn't it interesting how he's always tying this love sacrifice to our brothers? This giving of spiritual songs, hymns, encouragement, this loving of our neighbor as ourselves. He's always tying it to the light and to waking from sleep. Isn't that interesting? So he says, do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You see, it's this lie that you've got time, amen, that keeps your armor neatly stacked in the corner and keeps you wrapped in the bathrobe of your delusions. You know in your heart that there's some changes that have got to come in your life. But you think you've got time and you don't. You just do not have the time. Jesus hit it over and over. Isn't that what he was addressing when he spoke in Matthew 
25 verse 5 all the way through 11 or 12, wherever it is, about the, the foolish virgins. They squandered their oil. They spent it. And then they said, we'll have time. You go ahead. At midnight, it says the master is delaying. And that was the key word. He's delaying. Do not think the Lord is slow concerning his promises as some count slowness. But what you think is delay is long suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. The dead time is not time to sleep. It's time to repent. Amen. It's time to get your life ready. Amen. So he says of the foolish virgins that they fell asleep. But about midnight there came a shout. And they said the bridegroom is here. Amen. They were willing to go. They were willing to go to the feast. They wanted to be there. But they didn't have time to get ready when they thought they would. Do you understand that that is a difference between your salvation and your loss of it? Just your perspective of time. You don't have time. Isn't that what Jesus was addressing when he said of the man? He said, oh... Great, my barns are full, everything's perfect. At ease, soul, rest, amen. Take your ease. I'm going to have to build bigger ones, but let's have a good night's rest. He said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. What, God? Why would you do that? Because you should have known all along that the times and epics are not in your hand. Amen. David said in Psalms 31 verse 15, I trust in you, O Lord, because all my times are in your hand. And I can't take it into my control. I'm on a timetable invisible to my own perception. But I know it's there. God, am I keeping pace? Am I keeping up? Jesus also in Luke spoke. He said that the slaves were going to become complacent they saying the master has again the word delayed his coming so he begins to carouse about and beating on each other and but then at midnight the knock comes and everything is in disarray you say well god wouldn't do that to me oh yes he would he did it to the great prophet daniel suddenly out of the middle of nowhere Boom! The times and epics had changed. And he was forced into a moment of crisis he could not have anticipated. Amen. And he had to get a hold of God for himself. For Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and all the others. He had to touch God. What if he had all the debris and clutter and rubbish? Amen. Of sin and filth in his life. How would he have ever found the faith to access the throne of grace? No, he was instant, in season and out of season, ready to give an answer for the hope that was inside of him. Amen. There's nobody that loves their sin, really. They all want to get rid of it. They just don't, they won't accept the timetable of God that it is high time and the time is now. Amen. Oh, you know, I don't want to be I don't want to be lying, but you know, I just, I don't think I can do it right now. You better go face that person you lied to and say right to their face, I don't have time. Amen. 
I don't have time or grace to waste. Please forgive me. This is what happened. Whatever the addiction may be, pornography, who loves pornography, who's proud of pornography, cut it out of your life. There's no time for it. You don't love what it does. You don't love what it does to your perception of other people. That isn't what you love about it. You're owned by it. And if you don't cut it out of your life, when the Lord comes knocking, you're going to miss your entire calling and salvation. Just like that. And nobody will ever know that among all those Chaldeans, there died a Daniel. But the Lord will know, and He's going to hold you accountable for the Esau that you became. Esau, there he was cooking stew. Hey man, he sees Jacob cooking stew and he comes in panting and he's got to exaggerate everything. He says, I'm about to die. And he just couldn't wait, could he? It was all about timing. He couldn't wait till supper. Amen. He couldn't defer, couldn't put off his appetite. Amen. He had to have it now. Amen. He had to put it to his own lips and gulp it down. And then afterwards he regretted it. Did he not? Time came when he saw his birthright for what it was, but it was late. It was too late. Amen. He wept with bitter tears and sought repentance. Amen. But somebody else was weeping over him too. Jesus was standing on the mount, looking down over him and Jerusalem and all of us who think that the times are in our hands saying, Jerusalem, Esau, if you had known the time of your visitation, but now your house is left to you desolate because you didn't know the time. Oh God, it doesn't come to us in lifespans. It comes to us in split seconds decisions that change the destiny forever of our life just like that and it's over just like that and you're a Daniel you're a Jacob or an Esau just like that boom boom the times and seasons belong to the father's authority what about in numbers the 14th chapter boy is that a story numbers the 14th chapter tells the story that should be the climax of all their 40 years of toil, all their 40 years of wandering. Can you picture this? Oh, we're already saved. We're in the Moses band. Oh, we're already saved. You should see what God did for us in Egypt. Come on, guys. Keep it up. We're, we're good with God. Amen. I've been living for God for 40 years or whatever the case may be. God has fed us from heaven with manna. God has given us strength from a rock. God has done everything we ever needed. God's forgiven our sins. We're there. We're saved. But at the climax, the climax, the, the monumental moment, there when they stood on the south side of the Jordan, amen, Moses went up and he said, this is the land that God has given you. He sent the 12 spies and we know 10 came back with the perspective of the natural and two came back with the perspective of faith, Caleb and Joshua. And boy, the fears rose up in the people's hearts and Moses said, this is your moment. This is it. You remember the story? Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should... By all means, go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone with him said, 
We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. We can't do it. Amen. Can't do it. The pull of this sin, of this lust, is so much greater than the strength of my integrity or character. I can't do it. I'm like a grasshopper. Hop, hop, hop. I can't do it. And they were right. They couldn't. That's what Joshua told them. You can't do it. But it can be done and through you. But the man who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it were men of great size. There also also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, the part of the Nephilim, And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. My dad said recently, you should have become like grasshoppers and even less. You should have vanished from sight. You should have gotten out of the picture because it wasn't about you. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and wept. They cried and wept. And the people wept that night. Can't you picture it? I mean, oh God, you're going to make us do this. It's impossible. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Well, you're going to, don't worry, you're still not to the promised land. All your bones are going to fall in the wilderness. Someday you're going to be a boneyard to future generations of what happens. Amen. When you miss the time of your visitation. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. You're going to. Don't worry. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Forty years of relationship. Forty years of trust. Forty years of hearing Moses bring the word of God to them. Amen. And it's all over because they don't have the unction. They don't have the zeal. They don't have that faith who would rise up and say, God, This is your promise, and you're not going to disappoint us. Right there, on the brink of victory. They know the necessity, but they don't have that something that Joshua and Caleb had. Oh, let's appoint a different leader. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. God, can you kill a leader any harder? Can you picture Moses' shame when he falls on his face before all of Israel? Oh God, the betrayal of four decades 
Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Oh God. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. God, it's good. The Lord is not slow concerning his promised land. But he was hoping you would have come to repentance of this belief or disbelief based on your own abilities. He's not willing that any should perish, but that you would come to repentance. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Their protection. God is the one who protects. The covering of God has been lifted from them, and God's with us. But that's about to change. But all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. He's speaking of Moses as an individual. Amen. It all began with one man. Amen. Getting up and leaving and going to a place he didn't know where. And I'll begin again with Moses. But Moses, man, if there was ever a man who typified real leadership. Moses said to the Lord. He's no hireling, you know. Moses said to the Lord. Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought this people from their midst. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land, that they heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your, of your fame will say, Because the Lord could not bring this people into the land, which he promised them by oath. Therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people. I believe Moses was so completely intertwined and woven. He was a thread in this tapestry. He couldn't extricate himself or his own potential Amen. From that of this people. It was too late, God. we got to come through together or we're not going to come at all. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. 
but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the, earth, of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take it by possession. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out in the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Go back to ground zero. Go back to the starting point toward the Red Sea. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I hear? And so forth and so forth. Okay, now I want you to jump to verse 39. And it says, When Moses spoke these words to all the people, the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. He spoke it to them this evening. In the morning, however... They rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, Here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which Yahweh has promised. 24 hours. 24 hours. That's all it took. They said, they whined, they cried. They, they said, let's get a different leader. And less than 24 hours, like 12 hours later, by morning time, they got up in the morning and they said, oh, did we blow it last night? I can't believe I said that. Did I really pick up a stone? Come on, let's go talk to Moses. We have sinned. Let's go now. In the morning, however, they arose up early and went to the ridge of the hill country saying, here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up now to the place which Yahweh has promised but Moses said, why then are you transgressing the commandment of Yahweh when it will not succeed? Do not go up or you will be struck down before your enemies for the Lord is not among you. This isn't going to happen. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you and you will fall by the sword inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord and the Lord will not be with you. That's the scary thing, isn't it? God takes us at our own word. Isn't that the tragedy? He takes us at our own commitment. When Jephthah made his rash vow, the literal Hebrew is, these words have passed out of my mouth and there's no way for me to catch them and pull them back in. You said it. You were in that moment of grace and you missed 24 hours and you're going to wait another 40 years. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. You're just going to end up in Hormah. Amen. That's all that's going to happen. Don't kid yourself. Amen. The times and seasons aren't for your choosing and your making. God has got a purpose. And you better take the armor of light out of the corner and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Thank you, Jesus. Whatever changes you're going to make, you better make them now.
You better make them. You better get across the line. Because when you're good and ready, God's grace is going to have departed from you. I promise you. When you wake up that morning and you say, you know what, I've blown it for the past five months. And you say, I'm ready to completely cut the sin out of my life. You're not going to have the power. You're going to be a grasshopper. And the Amalekites are going to be the Nephilim. The only chance you've got is to march when Yahweh marches. And if God is on the move in your life, you better keep pace. You better keep pace. And what are you waiting for? Someone to come and be your conscience for you? Someone to come and say, don't do this and don't do that and do's and don'ts and laws. Is that what you're waiting for? I'll make a promise to you. I'm never going to let that happen. As long as you're in my care, that's never going to happen. I firmly believe that you can hear the word of God and obey it because it's convicted you in your own heart and not because you've heard it from some man. If the word judges you, it's the word of God. It's not the opinions of man. And you can tell the difference, can't you? Children can be given the law, but you're going to have to make a decision. Children can be restrained, but you're going to have to be motivated from inside. Children can be slapped and punished. Amen. On the hand, a little swat. Amen. But you're going to have to know that you're going to be eternally responsible and accountable for the consequences of your actions or inactions. Thank you, Jesus. Can you hear God speaking to you? Jesus spoke in a parable purposefully so that He wouldn't come out and tell people the do's and don'ts. That isn't what it's about. If it's not coming from your heart, it's externalism. And if it's externalism, it's the best chance of sending you to hell. Because it allows for a form of godliness that denies the power that demands obedience. And if God is speaking to us, we have one thing to do. That's to get on our face, like Daniel, until we know what we've got to do. And then do it with all our might. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I know so many times in my life, I have been wrestling with things, battling things, whether it be condemnations or temptations or whatever the case may be. And I must admit that it's rare that I have ever gone and said to somebody, Brother so-and-so, I'm thinking this thought or I'm thinking that thought. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But I've very, very, very rarely ever done that. I can't ever think of an exception. But I'm telling you what, I have gone to God and I've put it before the Lord as it truly is and said, God, you've got to help me. If you care about me and if I'm not too far gone, please help me. And he has never failed to speak right to the secrets of my heart. And like Nebuchadnezzar, I've fallen on my face and worshipped God. I can't tell you how many times my dad has spoken something in a meeting, in person, over the phone, in Tamim, whatever the case may be. Spoken something that was so exactly what God wanted to communicate to my needy heart. And I said, God, you still care. I can do it. Amen. Amen. Some of you, you want somebody else 
to become your father in the natural. Jesus said, call no man father. Just like my dad has ministered for years, you want somebody else to fight your battles for you. You want to be able to call and hook up your septic line to the RV dump and download all the trash you've been thinking about and all the things you've been going through, but you don't know what it means to fight for your own soul. My dad told me recently of the scripture, Hebrews 5 and 7, we all know very much. Where else does it speak of Jesus in this way? That he prayed with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save his soul from death. You got to know that you're on a precipice, that you're walking the rim of the Grand Canyon. You got to wake up in the morning and know that your salvation can be lost. And I tell you again, it can be lost. Paul said, I fear lest I who have preached the gospel become a castaway, a reject, a Judas. And you got to say, God, I'm going to fight for my own soul. And you bring the specifics. You bring the secrets of your heart out. Amen. And then you come into a meeting and you listen differently. And you walk into a conversation and you perceive differently. And God begins to pour His love and encouragement on you. And you feel differently. Because you're not a little boneless baby sitting around waiting for somebody else to be all your initiative for you. You know that you're going to stand alone before the Lord. Amen. You're sick and tired of sleeping. You're sick and tired of nap times. God, convict your heart. God, convict your heart in Jesus' name. Convict your heart. Whatever it is that I don't know about that God does know about, convict your heart. Convict your heart so that you know it's not me trying to persuade, but it is God trying to save by His grace you from the sins that would take you to hell. It's a decision. It's a fight, a bloody fight of faith. It's not just a feeling. God, it's a fight. But you're a soldier in waiting. You're ready at attention every time the general enters. Sir, I am not engaged in civilian affairs. I'm waiting. Amen. I'm boiling inside. Fervent in spirit serving the Lord. That's what the word fervent means, you know, to boil over. And I'm not going to miss that window of opportunity. Because it'll be the difference of the victory. When Dwight D. Eisenhower found himself one of the top generals, commander of of the American forces in Europe, in the European theater during World War II, He, he was a humble man of great ability. Never, never pompous or arrogant. He was raised by a nonviolent family who prayed together on their knees every single morning. Raised in an 800 square foot home. He and six brothers, his parents, had to scrap and scrape for everything they had in this world. Made 40 cents a day at a 
at a cream factory there in Kansas, in Abilene, Kansas. He was born in Texas, but moved to Abilene, Kansas, when his dad was able to make $35 a month. He had his setbacks, but when his moment came, he knew it. He didn't pretend. He didn't put on airs of false humility and understate his own abilities. He went directly to Winston Churchill. He was far closer a friend of Churchill than he was of Roosevelt. He and Roosevelt actually didn't get along very well sometimes. And he went to Churchill and he said, Churchill, I've got to become commander-in-chief total commander of all the armed forces. No man had ever assumed that power. No man had ever assumed such power in the history of the world. And he was probably the humblest man and the most capable man to do it. And there there was a lot of opposition, rivalry that almost prohibited the move, but in the end they gave it to him. He He could have completely, with his army, he could have completely conquered the world several times. They were pressed hard, and time was everything. When he finally put together a plan for the Normandy invasion, it would be the largest landmass invasion in the history of the world, before or after. Over a million men, and everything had to be perfect. And yet they were planning for a a shore and a country that they could not step foot on. And it all came down to June 5th was his objective originally. And his meteorologists kept giving him confusing reports. And it was like the weather kept changing. And and he knew that Rommel had the, the majority of the force staged, prepared for this huge allied buildup that was all fake. If any of you know about that, the Allied buildup that Rommel was waiting for, they were fake tanks, they were fake trucks, it was all fake. There weren't enough troops to hold off Rommel at all. It was just a ploy. And they got Rommel's, his, all of his, his main uh, focus and his entire army over there. And he just sent this one, this one uh, detachment, not, not a detachment, one company or whatever, over to Normandy. And if once he caught on, they weren't going to be able to, to overcome the odds of Normandy against Rommel's whole force. It would have been hopeless. So they couldn't catch on. It was timing was everything. They had to push it off a month into June. And then it came down to it was pouring rain. And the tide wouldn't allow it. They couldn't land. They couldn't sail. Their boats were horrible. <laughs> they were brand new uh, ingenuity, products of... of untested ingenuity had all kinds of problems and they're going to land a million men and it all came down to one hour where he's standing there with his commanders they have one hour three hour period where they believe the storm would let up and the meteorologists have been wrong up until this point and they're all gathered around and they know if they go and the squall comes in it's over They've blown their whole cover and their big plan is shot. And, and they're there in the tension. And he, he makes the call that between two storm fronts, when they're least expected, 
he's going to make the strike. And the casualties were horrendous. That isn't my point. But it was a victory. They got their foot on the beach. They made the beachhead. They spent weeks trying to break through the hedge groves. I've got a book that tells all about it. They spent weeks trying to break through the French form of fencing, which was primarily hedges. It was totally unanticipated. But they made the landing. They brought that main thrust, and they were really never stopped until the war was over. Three hours of play. And once they sent the destroy, here was the deal. Once they sent all those Navy uh, boats out there, once they sent them from the, from the other side of the channel, they didn't have enough gas to get back. And if the storm came in the middle, they were dead. That's how it is sometimes, isn't it? We don't have time. And if God is speaking to you tonight, there's nothing I can do, but there's something you can do. There's something you can do. You can arouse yourself, stir yourself to make a decision. Awake, awake. Put on strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter. You got to do it. It's your choice. Awake. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that what he said? Wait until you be endued with power from on high. That's when you're ready for the times and epochs outside of your own ability, planning, or schedule. The hands of the clock keep warning of moments that do not last. So what is God speaking to us? Isn't He speaking on a lot of different levels? More than anything, He's speaking to us that we need to stop thinking we can stay in the field. We've got to come all the way in, don't we? It's, it's high time. Thank you, Jesus. Are you going to be a Daniel? Nobody will ever know if you don't know the time of your visitation. You'll just be another casualty of the Chaldeans. Casualty of the casual. The pages of time are turning as moments and days go by. So many people are learning the unchangeable lessons of life. The hands of the clock keep warning of moments that do not last. Of mercies new this morning which tomorrow shall make the past. Plow under with joy your fruit of tears. Fully live the twilight season. Let mercy give back the wasted years and every choice the worm has eaten. The timeless word can still be heard above the noise of your life and the clock will stop and the angels watch the battle between love and strife. God's speaking to us, isn't He? Why don't we all just bow our heads right now? Thank you, Jesus. This is a moment with God. Thank you, Jesus. It is for me as well as for anybody. Don't think that I stand above this word. God's speaking to me. God is speaking to me. God, help us. Disabuse us of our own abilities. For good or for bad.
those that invoke false courage and those that invoke false fear. Amen. It's by you and you alone that we can do all things. Apart from you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who empowers, encourages, and strengthens us. Please help us, God, to know the times that we live in, to know the seasons that you've placed us in, to shake ourselves, to awake, and to put on strength, the strength that alone comes from your presence, to be like Daniel and access the revelations of secret in your presence, God. Don't let us become a casualty of the casual. Don't let us become another wise men who didn't know the time. Don't let us miss the moment of our visitation. Don't let us become a Saul. Don't let us become an Esau who came to the revelation of his, the importance of his own gift and your blessing, but it was too late. Who came to a willingness to change, but it was without grace. Don't let us become like Israel, who at the climax moment, the moment of truth, waited 24 hours only to miss your grace and fall. A testimony of the unbelieving in the wilderness. God, please help us. Jesus' name, please help us to see the sins in our life. Please help us to see those entanglements, those delusions, those lies that say we have time and deal with them with finality and speed, with zeal and promptness, God. Thank you, Jesus. Don't let it be said that summer has come and harvest has passed and we're still unsaved, God. We want to come in to the sanctuary. We want to come into the refuge. We want to be part of the harvest. We want to be sheaves that you bring. God, help us. God, help us. God, help us. Alert us, God. Stir us, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Made in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O oh Lord. Take not thy holy spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Amen. And he says, Then I will teach sinners, transgressors, your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. When you renew in me a right spirit, when you bring your Holy Ghost back in my life, when the joy returns, usable vessels.